Good morning, church. Great. This week, uh, we are starting, we are commencing our evangelism focus series, and we will have a six-week sermon series that aim to uh, spur you and I, poke you and I, to uh, tell the gospel to others by using a very easy-to-learn, easy-to-remember gospel presentation called Two Ways to Live. So now you ask, why over six weeks? Why do we need six weeks to do this? All right, so I think of a few reasons. Uh, firstly, you know, a longer period of learning allows the uh, gradual introduction of new points. So one point per week, six in total. And this longer period allows us to insert uh, spaced intervals in between uh, because I was told that the memorization and repetition of gospel points and Bible verses with space in between helps you and I remember them better according to brain science. And six weeks uh, also give us ample time to uh, pray for our prospects, so people whom we want to uh, share the gospel to. And we pray and ask the Lord to work in their hearts and uh, bless us with good soil in them. Good soil that is ready to receive seeds of the gospel. And then lastly, six weeks of learning, six weeks of practicing gospel sharing, uh, somehow form a habit in us. So it is said that it takes between three to uh, six weeks uh, for one to form a habit. So 21 days for something simple like, you know, going to bed at 10 p.m. in the evening and uh, 66 days for something more complex, like intermittent fasting. And so the task of telling the gospel, I think, hovers in between simple and complex. So maybe that's the reason why we're going to have six weeks. All right, you may close the slide for now. And so today, being week one, I am going to do things differently today. All right, are you ready? Well, firstly, we shall look at the Two Ways to Live presentation. And then I will get you to read points off your screen, uh, the corresponding Bible verses as well. And then I'll read the explanation to uh, the Bible verse to that point. And this practice, this exercise, will help you familiarize yourself with gospel points and also aid you in your memorization. And then I shall expound on the Bible verse for week one. Uh, to help us understand the passage in its context and to discern what it says to us today. And so how we can also learn how we can use it in our gospel presentation. And then we will finish off reviewing once again the um, two ways to live points. Okay? Are you with me? You don't seem excited. Let me try that again. Are you with me? Okay, we're going to do this together. And so now... Uh, I invite you to please pull out your phones, all right, and then go to this URL. This is a very interesting service for the very first time in the history of uh, services in ARPC. The preacher is asking you to look at your phones intently, all right? And so um, check this URL out, uh, two ways to live, right? And it leads you to the introduction, right? It says, the Christian gospel is simple enough to be explained in a short presentation like this. And yet, 
It is a message that has changed the lives of millions and been studied by many of the greatest minds of the last 2,000 years. And you swipe up, and it leads us to our first point, which is God, the good ruler and creator. By the way, there's another option. You can use this. But if I were you, I will choose the web version because it's a lot shorter. It's the uh, TLDR version of this. All right, so I'll use the web. Uh, first point, God, the good ruler and creator. And you will see on your screen a picture of a person standing on top of the world, like, you know, Carpenter's song, on top of the world. And there's a crown above him, all right? Which means that God, is represented by the crown, is the ruler over man and woman who is assigned to be his image bearer in this world. And so you swipe up, and we are led to Revelation 4, verse 11. Let's read it together, shall we? One, two, three. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And the explanation is here. The foundation of the Christian message is that God is the one true and living ruler of all things. He is the Lord and King of everything that exists. Unlike many human rulers, God is not corrupt or self-serving. He is a thoroughly good and loving ruler who continues to provide for his world generously and to rule it with justice. God is the ruler of everything because he created everything. God is the source and maker of all that exists, including the good and beautiful world that we live in. This is His world. He made it, and He is in charge of it. He also made us. And then please read the last paragraph. Thank you very much. The summary is three points. God is the ruler of the world. He made this world that we live in, and he made us to rule his good world, and our responsibility is to give thanks and to honor him. And then after you memorize this first point, okay, you don't have to memorize it word for word, but at least you understand the point, uh, it, uh, you are required to at least learn how to transit to the next slide. And you may want to learn and say, this is how God created things to be. But it's very obvious, it's fairly obvious that this is not our experience of the world. What happened? And so you swipe up and we go to the next point, which is our rebellion against God. And if you look at your screen, you will see a canceled crown, right? A crown with a marked X, which means that God, or rather man decided to cancel God and instead wear a crown upon himself. Man decided to rule his own life. And so the Bible passage here is Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Uh, let's read it all together, shall we? One, two, three. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. So everything that is wrong in our lives and in the world stems from the faithful choice humanity has made. From the very beginning... We didn't want God to be our ruler. We rejected Him as God by deciding to live our own way in defiance of Him. 
and we all do this in our lives. Most of the time, we simply ignore God or keep Him at a distance and get on with living our own lives. We do not thank Him as we should for being our generous creator and provider. We don't honor Him and obey Him as our ruler. We follow instead our own desires and priorities and live by the values we decide are best, whether it's religious, secular, or a mix of both. The common Bible word for this rebellious stance towards God is what? It's sin, and we all do it, whether we follow a particular religion or not. And we find ourselves in a world full of little gods, each of us doing things our own way, each of us selfishly trying to bend the world and other people to follow our own will. Okay, your turn. Please read the last paragraph. One, two, three. Thank you. Summary, two points, which is we all reject God as our ruler. And what do we do? By We run away from him and we run our own lives our own way. And the consequence is, by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, we damage each other, and we damage the world, right? And so this is second point, which is that we have rebelled against God. And to transit to the next point is simple. The question is, what will God do about man's rebellion against him? Swipe up, and it leads us to third point, which is simply... God's justice. And the diagram is, there's, you have a crown there in front of your, on your screen, which represents God and a man who is, by the way, not sleeping, but a man who is dead, right? So that's not a sleeping man or a woman, but it's a person who is dead. Why? Because Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, swipe up, tells us, let's read it together, one, two, three, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. And so like any good ruler, God cares enough to take our rebellion seriously. He holds us accountable for our actions because it matters to Him that we dishonor Him, that we treat other people so poorly, and that we ruin His world. In other words, God will not let rebellion go on forever. It would be unjust of Him to do so. And we experience God's judgment against our rebellion in the reality of death. You and I die. Suffering and death are not natural. The corruption, the decay, death in our world are part of God's punishment for humanity's rejection of Him. But that's not the end. There is a further judgment that we will face. We will all one day stand before God and give account to Him for our lives for the damage we have done, and for our personal rejection of Him as our ruler. The sentence God will pass on that day will be to give us what we have asked for, which is separation from Him. He will cut us off from Himself permanently, and since God is the source of life and all good things, being cut off from Him means a destruction that never ends. Finish it up. Reading the last paragraph, one, two, three. Yes. 
Okay, so that's the implication of God's justice. Summary, which is, God is not going to let us rebel against Him forever because He is just. And because He is just, God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. Transition? This is hard to hear, isn't it? It means that we are all in deep trouble, but it's not the end of the story. Swipe up, and it leads us to the fourth point, which is God sent Jesus to die for us. And to help you remember that point, you just remember the drawing, which is there is a crown, there is a man, but this man's hand is stretched because this man symbolizes Jesus who gave his life on the cross. And you see the letter J on the right, right? So that's the initial of, obviously, Jesus, who is sent into this world in obedience to God for a mission to give his life for us. So let's read Isaiah 53 in its full. One, two, three. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so the Lord God laid on Jesus our iniquity. Explanation, God loves the word, the world he created, and he loves us. He didn't leave us to suffer the consequences of our rebellion. He sent his own divine son into the world to save us, the man, Jesus Christ. Well, unlike us, Jesus did not rebel against God. He always lived under God's rule, giving honor and thanks to Him, and obeying Him in everything. He didn't deserve God's judgment in any way. He didn't deserve to die. Yet Jesus did die. And although He had the power of God to heal the sick and even raise the dead, Jesus allowed Himself to be executed on a Roman cross. Why? Well, the extraordinary news is that Jesus died as a substitute for rebels like you and I. He took upon himself the judgment, the punishment that we deserve by dying on the cross in our place. So death is the punishment for rebellion, and he died our death. Last paragraph, your turn. So as you will notice, from this point onwards, you now present the good news. After presenting the bad news, the bad news of our sin and rebellion, the bad news of the death and the, the punishment of death that we all deserve, you now present the good news, which is, and the summary of which is, because of God's love, God sent His Son into the world, the man Jesus Christ. And Jesus always lived under God's rule, unlike men and women. But Jesus took our punishment by dying in our place. Transition, but that is not all. And we're almost done. Point number five, swipe up. Jesus, the risen ruler and savior. And the diagram to help you remember is a big crown with the initial embossed on it or engraved on it, the letter J, which is that Jesus is now the risen ruler over the world. And the Bible verse is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read it together, shall we? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
God accepted Jesus' death as payment in full <clears throat> for our sins. And God raised him from the dead. Jesus defeated death and rose up to be what humanity was always meant to be, which is to be the ruler of God's world. And so as God's ruler, Jesus has also been appointed as God's judge of the world. When Jesus returns and the judgment day comes, Jesus will be the one calling us to account for our rebellion against God. But Jesus is not only God's appointed king and judge, he is also the savior from judgment. Because of his death in our place, he now offers to forgive all our sins. They've already been paid for. We can now make a fresh start with God, no longer as rebels, but as, as loyal friends, giving all thanks and honor to him. In this new life that Jesus offers, God himself comes to live within us by his spirit. And we already learned that from Romans, didn't we? We can experience the joy of a new relationship with God. Your turn. Read the last paragraph. One, two, three. <clears throat> what good news indeed that is. Summary, which is God raised Jesus to life again as the ruler and judge of the world. Jesus has conquered death. And now he brings forgiveness and new life, and he will return in glory. But that's not the end. Transition is, where that, that, does that leave us? Well, it leaves us with a clear choice between two ways to live. All right, last slide, or rather last point. Number six, two ways to live. And you can, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look at your diagrams, you have something that looks familiar right? There's a man with a crown. And there's a bigger crown with the initial engraved, J, okay, on top of a man. Okay, so it speaks of a man who is under the lordship of Jesus, the one on the right, and a man who still wants to rule and run his own life. And so in point six, you actually present to your prospect, which way are you choosing to live? Are you choosing to still be the man who runs his own life, rules his own life? Or do you choose to be the man who wants to submit to the judge, the ruler, and the savior, Jesus? Bible verse here is John chapter 3, verse 36. Let's read it together. One, two, three. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them. The first way to live is to continue in our rebellion against God, which is ignoring Him and running our own lives our own way. Sadly, this is the choice that many people continue to make. And the end result of living this way is the inevitable and rightful judgment of God. We not only have to put up with the damaging consequences of rejecting God here and now, but we face the dreadful prospect of an eternity of separation from Him. But there is another way. If we turn to God and ask for forgiveness, trusting in Jesus as the resurrected ruler and Savior, then everything changes. 
Your turn. One, two, three. For a start. Hmm. And so to summarize this point, it is presenting two ways to live. Which first way, which is, one can continue to reject God as ruler, live our own way, continue to be damaged by our rebellion, and face death and judgment. And the other option, which is the better option, is to choose God's way. That is to submit to Jesus as our ruler, rely on Jesus' death and resurrection, and experience forgiveness by God and then receive a new life that lasts forever. And after presenting point number six, you have to present a challenge and ask your prospect, so which way do you want to live? All right, so those are easy to learn, easy to remember, six points of the gospel presentation, and we want to spur you and poke you to tell the gospel to your loved ones, to your colleague, to your friends, to anybody that you should start praying that God work, start working in his or her heart. And now for today, let's look at the first point, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Let's look at Revelation 4, verse 11 in its context, all right? Revelation 4, verse, verses 1 to 11. Now, Revelation is a very interesting book in the Bible because... It is both an apocalyptic literature, but at the same time, it is also a letter, right? So it's interesting because number one, it is in the genre of apocalyptic texts, but at the same time, it is like an epistle as well. It is an epistle. So it is apocalyptic because it talks about destruction. It talks about judgment. It talks about the end of the world, but it's not just about destruction and judgment. You know, in the same way people use the word apocalypse. You've heard of that word, right? Apocalypse. When people use the word apocalypse, sometimes they use it to describe the stock market crash. Or they use apocalypse to describe a nuclear holocaust. And then if you're a fan of the movie Train to Busan, uh, they use apocalypse to describe a zombie takeover. But the Bible's apocalyptic text announces destruction, judgment, and the end, but it also heralds triumph and salvation. God's triumph and the final salvation of His people in the end. And so Revelation was written by the Apostle John to the seven churches in the Roman province of Asia Minor. Now these churches, friends, they were facing hostility, they were facing persecution because of the pressure of emperor worship. And so the Apostle John, he wrote to the churches to exhort them to stand fast, to hang on, to hold on, and to not give in, but to persevere, to endure the suffering that they go through for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, John himself was exiled to Patmos, because of his faith in Jesus. Others have been killed because they refuse 
to bow to the cult of the emperor and worship the beast. They refused to do that. And so John's message to them was that things were going to get worse. And the word there is tribulation. It was going to get worse before it is, it is going to get better. Better when God, in the end, will punish the oppressive ruler called Babylon in the book of Revelation. And John says this is going to happen for certain because God is the ultimate ruler who is in full, total control even if his church is facing trials, even if the church is facing sufferings under rulers who are opposed to God. The human rulers who are up against God, you know what's going to happen to them? They will be destroyed in the end. And God will triumph, and God will grant salvation to his church. And so John's revelation is a warning to the church, but at the same time, it is an encouragement. Now, chapters, chapter 4's vision is focused on what happens in heaven, also known as the control room of God. Well, you could, control, uh, you could call it the situation room, you know, like the situation room in the White House. Uh, if you wish, you can call it that. The difference, though, is that God is not nervously observing from the situation room, all right? Observing the church from the situation room, uncertain if he will win the day or not. On the contrary, the vision portrays that God is seated on his throne, unperturbed, untroubled at all. Next slide. So look at verses 2 to 3. Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 to 3. Thank you. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. And so from the vision, God's majesty is indescribable. It's indescribable. John tries to describe the throne like dazzling, precious stones. John tries to describe the throne with emerald-like rainbow surrounding it. Not only that, next slide. He says in verse 4, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. Seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. So what is John telling us here? Well, the 24 elders, they were all dressed in white. They were wearing gold crowns and they surrounded God's thrones. Now, these elders are very likely angels who are given the role of shielding God. Well, not because God needed protection. No, God does not need, it, need protection. Why? Because if you look at verse 5, next slide, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing, and these are the seven spirits of God. And so, is God uh, need requiring protection? No, because God's flashes of lightning, God's thunder, 
are more than sufficient to scare, to scare anyone who thinks that he can dally, dilly dally, drop in, you know, and say, hey, God, hello, I'm here. Uh, the thunder, the lightning is there to scare those who think that they can just appear before the throne without first getting through the elite security are all clothed in white. And so God's 24 elders are there to highlight that the throne is off limits. It is heavily shielded. And that's not all. John describes the seven blazing lamps who are, he says, the seven spirits of God. Now perhaps these are the most immediate layer of beings who shield God in addition to the 24 elders. Some say that the seven spirits could be a description of the Holy Spirit. If it is, it means that the omnipresent spirit who resides in us believers who believe in Jesus, the spirit too is just before God's throne. And then in verse 6, you have the crystal sea just before the throne. Next slide, verse 6. Also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, friends, if we understood sea as the dreaded expanse, which had always spooked the Jews, then if we understand, too, that in the new heaven and the new earth, the sea is absent. That's why I remember Pastor Chris saying that, you know, if you love beaches, in the new heaven and new earth, there's not going to be any beach anymore because there's no more sea. The, the, the absence of the sea refers to the absence of chaos because the Hebrews, the Jews, were always being fearful of the sea. And so the sea here must be the frightening crystal of sea which is visibly deep and which separates God from the world. If you may, it is like a moat that surrounds a castle in defense of the castle so that no one can simply approach the castle without you know, going through the moat who's probably, uh, who, that, that probably has some, is it crocodile or alligator? Which one is the one that's in the water? I can't remember. But you know what I mean. It's a moat. And the moat here is the defense that separates the world from God. It is another layer that emphasizes that no one can just simply approach the throne. And then lastly, there are four living creatures surrounding God's throne. Verses 6 to 7. In the center around the throne, there were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth, was like a flying eagle. Now the creatures are covered with eyes. Now it probably symbolizes that everything is seen clearly from God's throne. It symbolizes that nothing is hidden from God's sight. So if I use the situation room, the control room illustration again, you will probably describe it as God having multiple screens in front of him hooked to reconnaissance satellites, you know, that orbits around the world. But of course, you know, that description 
would not have the same impact as John's four living creatures. Furthermore, this, these creatures, lion, ox, man-like, and eagle, they may depict, depict the attributes of God. And so I borrow this from D.A. Carson. God's throne then is royal as the kingly lion among the beasts. God's throne is strong as an ox. It is also intelligent, represented by man. And lastly, God's throne is characterized by compassion. Because you remember Exodus? God is like an eagle who bore his people on its wings. So you have royalty, strength, intelligence, and compassion. Description of God's throne. Plus, he sees everything. He sees everything in real time. And these creatures, you know what they do? They declare nonstop, day and night. And what do they say? Verse 8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And so why nonstop? Because God never ceases to be holy. God never ceases to be God. And the praise that is due Him is unending. It never ceases. Which is why, in response to the praise of the four creatures, the 24 elders, what do they do? The 24 elders, they do the same. They say in verse 9, uh, we are told that in verse 9, that whenever, whenever the creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, the 24 elders, they pull out their, pour up, pull out their crowns and they lay their crowns before the one who sits on the throne. And then they say, which is our Bible verse for this week. Next slide. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. This is our Bible verse for this week. Now you and I only said it a few times today, but the elders... They say it, say it, present tense. They say it nonstop, day and night. Why? Because in the unfallen state of heaven, worship is ceaseless and pure. There in heaven, there is no stealing of glory and honor by the creatures or by the elders. There is no snatching of glory and honor and power that rightly belongs to God. These elders and these creatures, they are devoted fully to the one on the throne. They give their thanks. They lay down their crowns. And they acknowledge that they are created creatures who rely solely on their creator. And so going back to two ways to live, this one, to state and to say, Revelation 4, let's say together, shall we? One, two, three. You are worthy, our Lord and God. Glory, 
And so to say this, this verse, is not only to declare that God is worthy of all praises because he is creator of all things, but in the context of Revelation 4, the one who is at the beginning revealed as creator and ruler remains the powerful ruler in heaven over all things, as John sees in his vision. God remains the powerful ruler even if Babylon at that time of John's writing continues to oppress believers and kill Christians. And no one can snatch from God his power to rule. No one, even if the circumstance suggests so. I mean, try getting through the vast crystal sea. Try getting through the bolts of thunder and the vaults of lightning. Try getting through the 24, 24 elders who surround God. Try breaking through those barriers. Stage a coup and snatch rule from the ruler. You can only but dream to do that. You can only but dream to seize rule from God and unseat him from his throne. But yet, that is what man and woman do, don't they? Babylon did that, according to Revelation. Self-made rulers who opposed God and oppressed his people. That was Babylon. And then closer to home, that is what men and women do. As we've learned from Romans chapter 1. That although they knew God, continue, they neither glorified God nor gave thanks to Him. All right, Glorified and give thanks, it appears in Revelation a few times. They neither glorified God or gave thanks to Him. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised in heaven. In heaven, He is forever praised. And so if these men and women carry on in their rebellion, carry on in their self-rule, the good God, we learn, is not going to idly sit by. The good God, who is powerful and the rightful ruler, will in the end triumph when He crushes the wicked and gives life to those who obey Him, endure for Him, persevere for Christ's name. And so that is why, in ending, you and I must share the gospel to the lost. You and I must share the gospel to the rebellious, to the unsaved. And perhaps God, in His mercy, will grant them forgiveness in Jesus and give them eternal life when He returns. And so, like I said in closing, let us quickly just review the points. Just the points. Next slide. God is the? God is the? Look at your slides. Aha. God is the? Good ruler and creator. Mm, okay? You'll remember that. Because for a moment you forgot. 
That's how you remember it. You forget and then you remember. Easy to retrieve. Next point. Oh, sorry. Revelation 4.11. Let's say that together again. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Next point. Number two, we rebelled against God. Next, next point. Point three, God is just. Point four, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. Point five, Jesus is the risen Savior, and now he is the ruler. And point six is when you present a challenge. There are two ways to live. Which one will you choose? Let us pray. Now, while heads are bowed and eyes closed, perhaps for some of you, this is the first time that you heard the gospel presented. And you acknowledge that you have sinned against God. You have all the time rebelled against Him. And today you realize that the Lord loves you and gives you the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for your sin so that you may be forgiven and be given new life. If the Lord so move you, perhaps you may want to pray and say, Lord Jesus, I realize that I am a sinner always in rebellion against you. I am sorry for my disobedience and for my desire to run my own life. I now want Jesus to be my ruler, to be my Savior. And from this day forward, I want to follow him and receive forgiveness of sin and find new life in Him. Receive me as your child because I want to place my faith in Jesus. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.